It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Good morning. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online, and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, Labour divisions deepen over leader Keir Starmer's stance on the conflict in the Middle East. Will he change his mind? Israel's ground invasion of Gaza continues as Palestinian civilians break into aid warehouses due to a lack of essential supplies. And how safe is your electric car? Drivers make claims of incredibly scary malfunctions. Told you. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Israel's Prime Minister has warned the fighting in Gaza will be long and difficult as the ground invasion inside the Palestinian territory continues uh, to gather momentum. Israeli Defence Forces launched hundreds of strikes on Hamas targets over the weekend and more troops are operating within Gaza's border as the violence shows no sign of letting up. There are reports that Hamas is preventing foreign nationals from leaving at the Gaza Strip. Uh, and also, back here at home, uh, there's more clamour uh, for a ceasefire. Uh, Kirstam is under severe pressure to do something other than to say, uh, basically, that Israel uh, should have some kind of possible pause uh, or certainly should uh, have the right to continue to defend themselves. Joining me to talk about this and some of today's other big stories, William Clouston is here, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, welcome to the big new studio for the yes, first my time. First, my Good first to time. see you. Um, there's loads to talk about this morning, not least because of what's happening actually in, in Gaza at the moment and, and around and about Israel. Funnily enough, I was watching a report last night about how things are in Israel, which you don't see very often. Mm. Um, and Israel is, is a kind of uh, almost like a ghost town at the moment. I was mm. watching a report from Tel Aviv mm. uh, where people were saying there's literally nobody on the streets. Mm. People are uh, in fear of their lives because mm. the rocket attacks continue to come. Um, people are in bomb shelters. Mm. You know, Tel Aviv, which is normally a very bustling, you know, 24-hour city, mm. um, is completely deserted. Hardly surprising, mm. what we're facing. Mm. Um, no, this is a tragedy. It's sort of a resumption of history, isn't it? A few yeah. years ago, you could uh, imagine a situation in Europe, particularly where, you know, we couldn't imagine a major war again. Now we've got Russia-Ukraine, which is, a, you know, an absolutely phenomenal scale war. It's a huge scale war. People didn't think it was possible. It's yeah. possible. And then now this tragic resumption of the... Uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Yeah. It's a tragedy. It really is. And, and I'm interested as well in, in the reaction, not just in this country, but in <clears throat> all sorts of countries all around the world. There was yeah. a terrible incident um, in Russia uh, where a mob uh, running around... I mean, it's hard to believe you're even saying the words, running around an airport looking for Jews, basically. Unbelievable. This was... I saw that footage as well, Dagestan. Here it is now, yeah. Yeah, remind me not to, uh, to visit Dagestan right. anytime soon. No, it was shocking, shocking scenes rampaging through there. The, you know, the, whatever authorities there were in that airport lost control rapidly. This is also what happens, Mike, uh, with the power of uh, social media. Yeah. And all you need is things to spread, conspiracy theories and so on. 
and they're literally trying to hunt uh, people down in the airport. It's like yeah. a sort of uh, a, a pogrom. Yeah, Horrible. it really must be awful, uh, particularly for Jewish people in London at the moment. I mean, yeah. I know it's happening in, in, in Manchester. It's happening. There was a big march in Birmingham mm. as well. Mm. Um, Kevin O'Sullivan was just telling us he was actually down there, and it is, mm. it's a very intimidating situation if you happen to be of the Jewish faith. Yeah, you know. Basically, they're saying, friends of mine are saying, we don't really want to go into central London while those marches are going. I sympathise with them. No, I, know, I know how they would feel. Um, you know, when this happened, when this outrage happened, when this massacre happened, um, very quickly had uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrations in Manchester, in Glasgow, in London. Probably the worst, Mike, which everyone saw, was in Sydney, mm. where people gathered in front of the Opera House. Yeah. And, and actually the, chanted... Oh, it was disgusting. Utterly, yeah. utterly yeah. disgusting. Now, how anyone, I mean, you know, Australia's got a Jewish population as well. Uh, what are they to think when people can go and do yeah. this with impunity? And what also are they to think, like, as, they, as, as the, is the case in this country, when the police mm. are sort of saying, well, this is all a bit tricky. Yeah. Well, it's not really tricky. You know, if people are chanting those kinds of things, yeah. then surely that's an arrestable offence. It is, but they're scared. And, you know, we've seen this before, Mike, haven't we? Uh, the, the mainstream majority in this country are now used to what we call two-tier policing. Mm. We know it, right? Mm. Remember the lockdowns? Yeah. Remember the anti-lockdown yeah. protests were closed down rapidly, Very arrested, people yeah. arrested. People were hurled to the ground. Yeah. And remember the BLM protests? Yeah. Oh, that's fine. That's yeah. all right. Let's not bother with that. And then you get these very well, large... It's interesting, though, because back then, in the BLM days, uh, the police were taking the knee, but they mm. were also covering up statues for fear that they might be damaged. Now they're saying, and they've said this in a tweet actually to me, Yeah. Um, there's no law against people climbing on statues as long as they're not damaging them. You can't go in. Well, they no, they're Sorry. just taking the mickey. You're just I mean, looking for an excuse yeah. now not to arrest people. You are because they're scared. It's because of the numbers. And, and I've been in London, uh, you know, three weeks, three weeks running, and I've seen these very large protests. I'm in favour of people's right to protest, you know, peacefully. So they can put I. their point of view, and it's, yeah. it's very important in the West. But, but. There's also this thing called civilized toleration of differences. Yes. And I'll give you an example of that, Mike, a really brilliant example, which is uh, Chris Law, yeah. the uh, SNP MP. He went, he attended uh, a rally, a pro-Palestine rally in Dundee, his own constituency, yeah. and he was shouted down. He was trying to make a point, yeah. he, which actually was a very conciliatory one. Mm. He was shouted down, he couldn't even deliver a speech because of the vehemence of the crowds yeah. there in Dundee. Mm. Right? And people are scratching their heads, and how could this happen? If you live in this society, in a multiracial, yeah. multi-ethnic society, you have to practice right. civilized tolerance. You can't shout people down just because you disagree this, with them. This feeds back, does it not, into things that you and I have spoken about before, whereby, <coughs> you know, if people want to come and live in this country from mm. other countries, and mm. many of them have come from Palestine, many, mm. many of them have come from other Muslim countries, yeah. you know, where the, the, the law is a lot less tolerant than it is here. Of course. And I think it's wrong for people to come to this country and make use of a tolerant law oh, yeah. in order to be intolerant. Yeah, and, they, and, and some of them, it's probably a minority, but some of them are very intolerant, and some of them are uh, uttering not just anti-Semitic things. There were, t there were examples on Saturday of, of, of people saying other racist abuse to people. Police are just standing around yeah, watching them. Right. They just lo lost the bottle. Yeah. They are terrified, actually. Because once Mike. you don't do anything, <clears throat> and I, I, you know, I accept that there is a, a, a sort of restraint required in these situations. You yes. don't want to cause a public order. Massive, yeah, of course. You know, massive riot, and I get all that. Yeah. However... There's somewhere in between, surely. Standing around watching. I mean, one of the uh, the things that they responded to me to was a guy who was on top of the Lloyd George uh, statue with a flare. Yeah. And they were standing there talking to him as if he was a six-year-old who was refusing to eat his cheese sandwich. Yeah. You know, or, please come down. Uh, if you don't come down, uh, we're going to have to do something. 
And it was like, well, what are you going to do? And he came down, his face was covered. Yeah. Right? He didn't know who yeah. he was. Yeah. Uh, he had a flare, which yeah. could have been damaging the thing. Yeah. And he just came down, they let him go. Yeah, but it, it, proper policing in a democratic state is without fear or favour. And it's, they're not practising, I'm afraid. And, and this is, and it, I actually think, I agree with you, Mike. I think it just invites more uh, extremism, more, uh, they'll push it as far well, and far as they can. it doesn't discourage people from going, does it? I mean, what you'll get now is the next march will be even bigger. Yeah, but I'm not... Yeah, but the next march will be even bigger. Uh, OK, no, I'm, I, I'm, I, we've got the right to protest. We're a democratic, open society, right, Mike? But I've been, as I say, I've been in London three weeks running. There's been massive protests every single Saturday yeah. in Whitehall and at London yeah. Bridge and Parliament Square. So you've made a point. Mm. Do you have to have this every week? I don't well, think so. Well, that's what they say. And I'm worried about the weekend that we have Armistice Day. Yeah. Um, because I know that's on a Sunday, but yeah. nevertheless, you know, there's going to be problems unless the police get to grips with this. And just to sort of give the total bizarre nature of all of the things that are going on, one of the stories that I saw over the course of the weekend uh, was a, uh, a story about a guy called Abdul Wahid, mm. uh, head of Hizbut Tahrir, mm. uh, which is that uh, organisation which is a prescribed terrorist organisation. Banned in other countries, countries, yes. Banned in loads of countries in the Middle East, not banned here. Um, he's basically been on these marches, but he's also been known uh, to have uh, offered to do a very welcome punch on the nose to Israel. Uh, he, uh, he welcomed the slaughter of the 1,400 um, mm. Israelis happened on October the 7th. Yeah. Um, he's in the NHS. Yeah, he yeah. spent 20 years working as a doctor in the NHS. Now, his identity has been revealed over mm. the course of the weekend. Uh, do you think there's any likelihood that the NHS will do anything about them? I very much doubt it. They need to. They can't stand by like lemons and watch people say things like that. Yeah. If it had been the other way around, Mike, you'd lose your job instantly. Yeah. If you said, you know, you know the difference between Arthur and Martha, yeah. you'd lose your job instantly. Yeah. It's completely unfair. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. The un, the, the, it's not a level playing field. So for a, an organisation like the NHS to not take action. Mm. I'll ask you this, right? So if you, if, you were, if you were a gay member of the community in North London, you went to that doctor, do you think you'd be treated uh, properly? Well, it's very unlikely, I one would have so. thought. I don't you know, think so. Uh, I think, I mean, and he works in Harrow. Um, yeah. He's <clears throat> privately educated. He works as a GP. Mm. I mean, extraordinary. No. Um, incredible stuff. One other story about the, the immigration problem I just want to touch upon, I'm going to talk about it later on in the show, mm. uh, is I've been proved right yet again, a story that came out over the weekend that many, many people coming here on student visas, mm. uh, it turns out, are now getting here and then claiming asylum. Of course. No, this is a complete, utter racket. Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that universities are vastly overexpanded, it is not socially useful, for a start, to have half of our school leavers going to universities. Yeah. This is what David Goodcock calls the, the university industrial complex. Mm. It's a complete racket. Yeah. They're selling uh, some not very good degrees for debt. Uh, to be fair, the only sec part of the university sector that pays for itself is the foreign student sector. Yeah. But that is abused. People don't... They're not coming here to be educated, no. many of them. They're coming here as a route they're to coming settle. They're to get so to boots on the ground, if you like. Yeah, yeah, boots on the ground, yeah. And it's, it's, we're, we, we need to wise up. We've, I, I've spoken at... It's a conference season. So I spoke at uh, New Culture Forum uh, conference a few weeks ago and our own conference and the Battle of Ideas. Mm. And, you know, I've made the point, we need a mass immigration pause in this country yeah. to get on, to find a new us, it's a precondition, I think, for a good future here. Yeah, I think that has to happen, because otherwise they'll never catch up with the numbers either. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about Keir Starmer. Um, he's going to have a tough week, I think, because, mm. um, as we were saying earlier, uh, he's now got Sadiq Khan, Anna Sawa, Andy Burnham, mm. uh, Hamza Yusuf, I know he's not in the Labour Party, but still mm. Uh, mm. will bring pressure to bear. Mm. I don't see his ability to hold the line on, on this Israeli sort of policy of his, do you? Well, it's already gone. I mean, <laughs> it's already gone, so he's in all sorts of trouble. Um, the whole idea of, uh, of, of 
of um, a single line from the front bench has collapsed. He's got probably 40 or 50 people in the PLP that mm. uh, vehemently disagree with him. And, I mean, his, his initial response, I think, was, was reasonable and probably admirable, but he, he, he's got a, a coalition in the Labour Party, and not just in the Labour Party, in his voting group. Yeah. You know, 70% of Muslims in this country vote Labour. Mm. He's terrified of losing them. So he's right. trying, to, trying to keep them on side. But at the moment, he has lost them, hasn't he? Yeah, he's lost them. Yeah, he probably has. And, and uh, it's very interesting. And, and I, I think that, you know, on a broader point, that uh, would give me the indication we're probably going to head for a, an October election next year. Yeah. Because I think the Tories have an opportunity here. Because the longer it goes for Starmer, yeah. the more it'll sort of unravel. But it, it's, the fundamental problem here is, is a basic one, which everyone knows. He leads an unstable coalition. Yeah. The, the unstable coalition is, if you want to put it at the extreme end, it's queers for Palestine. Yes. That's the problem. And that yeah. is not, I'm afraid. No. That is well, not... I mean, over the weekend, we saw even Mick Lynch getting in on the act. He yeah. was up uh, on a stage somewhere calling yeah. for a ceasefire. Yes. And, of course, those who are calling for a ceasefire, without giving any context and without no. suggesting that somehow that's OK to keep the hostages there in Hamas territory while there is a ceasefire, um, they're making out that anyone who doesn't want a ceasefire is some kind of bloodthirsty warmonger. Yeah, this is the polarised situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, what do they expect Israel to do? Israel right. has a right in international law to react, yeah. to degrade Hamas yeah. after the massacre. Of yeah. course it does. Yeah, it has a right. It also has a duty to do that. Uh, I, obviously, people calling for uh, supplies to get into Gaza, which is a hell, it's hell on earth yeah. now, and that's important as well. But the, it quickly polarises, and I, I didn't see Jeremy Corbyn criticise the massacre. I haven't no. seen that yet. No. Any of that. No, I mean, he spoke in Parliament last week uh, and was urging for a ceasefire in the same way. But yeah. this is the trouble for Keir Starmer, isn't it? Because in the end, uh, he needs the votes. He but he vote. also yeah. doesn't want to lose um, the sort of middle ground that Peter Mandelson and Tony Blair and others mm. are telling him that he must hold on to in order to win. So yeah. he's in a sort of cleft stick, really. Total, utter bind, and it's not easy uh, for him. I think I'll give him a tip, though, Mike. If you do an inter interview on another station, should we name it? LBC did an interview. We can. And he, uh, he, he, he answered the question. He was quite, uh, you know, it's quite a thoroughgoing answer he gave. It was. But you can't then say, oh, I thought I was answering another question. Well, Sorry, you just lose it. simply not believable. Ridiculous. It's not credible. Totally. Because actually, funnily enough, uh, we looked at this last week because the Times very helpfully ran a transcript mm. of the conversation. Mm. And if he was answering the previous question, uh, the question didn't actually reveal that particular answer because the question previously was a completely different subject. Mate, this is... So this is, clearly he was just trying to wriggle around on the edge of a stick. This is a guy who earned a living as a lawyer. No. <laughs> so you can't say you didn't know what the question was. That is ridiculous. No. And that is his vulnerability mm. because he's inclined to say these sort of things. It's like saying, you know, that uh, his cervix difficulty with women. You yes. Know, he gets himself into trouble right. quite often. And it, Do you, you only... think it's because he doesn't actually have any convictions because so Partly. many speaks... He's clearly thinking, what's the best way to answer this question, as opposed to, this yeah. is what I actually believe. Yes, he's, he, well, it's the VARS theory. He's got the VARS. He thinks if he doesn't do anything wrong, he'll win the election. I've, I've followed Starmer for years. Mm. The only thing I've ever seen him carry conviction on is his conviction that this country shouldn't govern itself and should be governed by the EU. He's really, right. really keen, and you can see it in his eyes. Right. He's really keen on that. Yeah. On, on economic policy or housing or anything or trade, I've no idea what the guy thinks, mm. and probably he doesn't. No, because when you answer a question, and it's like they say, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that it's a Keir Starmer is in any way telling uh, lies or not mm. telling the truth, but, you know, when you don't have to kind of invent a narrative. You can answer honestly. You don't have to keep remembering what you're supposed to say because you actually believe it. Yeah, if you I mean, keep saying the, the, the thing that you believe, yes. then you'll never have to change your story. No, we don't. I mean, I, in the SDP, I just, I just say, I've said before, and I'm quite unusual as a politician saying this, we, you know, we believe in industrialisation, control of immigration, 
we think we're good enough to govern ourselves and so on. We continue to say these things. Most yeah. people in Britain believe it. And I say, look, if you don't agree with us, don't vote for mm. us, vote for someone else. Yeah. And what do you make of all of these people who now say, well, of course, the ceasefire is something that most people in Britain now want. There's been a couple of YouGov polls. It's a bit like saving the planet for me. If somebody comes up to you and says, do you want to save the planet? You're not going to go, no. Uh, if somebody comes up to you and says, do you want them to stop killing each other in the Middle East? You're probably going to say yes, because it doesn't sound very good. Yeah. If you say, no, I want them to continue to kill each other. A lot of, a lot of this depends on the polling question uh, and so on. I totally agree. Mike, remember, remember this, all the people that are calling for us. It is, it is hell on earth. I, I'm, I'm appalled by the whole thing. But Israel can't, doesn't have an option but to act, mm. to protect its citizens. Mm. And I'd remind people calling for a ceasefire, this very important point. We used to have one. Yeah. On the 6th of October. That's what I say. Yeah. That's exactly what I say. And you have to take the view of the Israelis, quite rightly, uh, that they cannot ever allow this to happen again. Can't. So in order to stop that from happening again, you must decommission Hamas. You can't. They don't simple. have an option. It's, a, it's the only democratic state yeah. in, the, in, the, in the Middle East. They don't have an option. They have to. They're under a duty to protect their citizens. What do they expect Israel to do? Yeah. It is a tragedy. It is. You know. It's awful. And it's been going on for a long time. We get all that. But after what happened on October the 7th, I think the, the mm. limited options are there for all mm. to see. Mm. Uh, William, stay where you are, if you could. William Cluston is here with us. Uh, coming up, uh, though, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak uh, is expected to U-turn, uh, see what I did there, uh, on green policies. The King's speech outlining the government's planned legislation is expected to feature pro-motorist measures as well as expanding North Sea oil and gas Exploration. Now, joining me to discuss this is Andrea Jenkins, Conservative MP for Morley uh, and Outwood. Um, there's no doubt, is there, Andrea, that, uh, that the people of this country who drive cars have been very severely put upon um, just before I started this show today. Uh, welcome, by the way. Very good morning to you. Um, I, I, I read a, a tweet from somebody from Bath where apparently they've now got uh, specific parking machines where you enter your registration into the parking machine. It determines whether your car is a diesel car or a petrol car and charges you a different amount of money depending on how bad the pollution is supposedly coming out of your exhaust. You know, people are sick to death of it. Um, is Rishi Sunak finally going to get the message from the Independent Republic uh, that we need more car-friendly policies, please, Mr Prime Minister? I think it looks that way, Mike. We need pro-realism because it's been completely bonkers, these green policies to me, and it has been an attack on the motorist. And and also, you know, I'm, I believe in freedom as well. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't tell people how to heat the homes, what cars to drive. And I think if this is coming up in the free speech, fantastic, because let's face it, if we have more North Sea oil drilling, it not only increase energy security, um, but it, it also means it's it's made here in Britain, which is mm. which is fantastic. Well, and but I think one thing what's um, we need to highlight, Mike, is is the Labour um, peddling fantasies because we need um, oil and gas in byproducts as well. Yeah. So um, I mean, I would like to see us go further and look at fracking as well, Mike. Yeah, I mean, what do you think Rishi Sunak's view of that is? Because at one point he said he was going to look into fracking and they were going to try and open it up for uh, at least a discussion, but it seems to have been pushed off the uh, the table for now. Um, I mean, look what happened to Liz, Liz Truss, when she was pushing the idea. Unfortunately, you know, you get um, too many members of parliament who are not open to this. And I think if it's, if it's cheaper solutions for uh, the consumer, and I know my my 
constituents are struggling at the moment. So why not look into this? Yeah. But I mean, also what I'm hearing on the King's speech as well, Mike, I don't know if you read that this morning about prison places um, abroad. I'm pro that. And actually only last week I submitted a written question on this. And to me as well, if if we're short of prison spaces, we can put illegal immigrants on barges. Why can't we put prisoners on barges as well? So I'm looking forward to this hopefully strong King's speech. Yes. I mean, is this a sort of do or die one then for Rishi Sunak, as far as you're concerned? I mean, we've got William Cluston here from the Social Democrat Party. We we are probably similar in our view that he's probably got until about next October. Uh, He's not going to call an election before that, we don't think. But, I mean, this is is his opportunity um, to show that he is actually a proper Conservative. I mean, mean, look, the polling's dire. And look at those by-elections last week. Um, I mean, I literally, um, I WhatsApped Rishi um, saying my views on how we need to be more conservative and and the the by-election should be a realistic wake-up call um, for him and our party. We do need to be more conservative. We need to take control of immigration. The stuff we're seeing on the streets and, as your previous guest said, um, we, we can't have a two-tier policing which treats people differently. You know, no. we need to be the party that's strong on crime, um, low taxes and and control of our borders yeah. and also free speech as well. Right. Mike. But he does know this, doesn't he, Rishi? I mean, the problem is, is that, you know, he like, he keeps telling us he wants to lower taxes, but he's not going to be able to do it. He's going to have to find a way, I think. Uh, he keeps telling us that he wants to make the, uh, the boat stop coming, but he still hasn't managed it. I mean, I presume he must know that he's not doing that well. Um, well, I, I just, I mean, look, any prime minister that's around themselves with um, advisers, don't they? Um, I'd, I'd love to know whether their advisers are, uh, are flowering things up or they're actually giving the, the honest truth what people feel. That's why I felt the need to send this WhatsApp that I didn't sugarcoat anything. I was quite brutal in my messaging. Yes. And so what would you tell him uh, to put in for sure into the King's speech? Um, well, I think, um, f- first of all, um, it'd be about lowering taxes. It'll be um, ab- about looking at alternatives um, for um, uh, for the prison places, like we said. It'd be coming out of the European um, ECHR. Yeah. So we can actually control our borders. This is what, if this would be, if I was him, this would be what I'd be telling him to do. Uh, and also the um, RSHE, the sex education in schools, you know, never mind putting a letter out, out to saying that parents are allowed to see um, the material being taught. I think we ought to pull these modules. It's inappropriate for young primary school t- yeah. children. Yeah, and I think most parents would agree with that. What about Keir Starmer? What would you tell him to do? Because he's got himself in a right old muddle after those by-elections. He should have been living high on the hog, instead of which he's got himself really bogged down uh, with his own party I, I think, on his views on yeah. the Middle East. I mean, I think, look, we know the Labour Party is stuck with a hard-left membership. Many of their members are instinctively opposed to the West. You know, they don't like NATO, they don't like free speech, they don't like free enterprise. Um, they hate our history of our fantastic country. So I think it highlights, actually, there's still a problem with anti-Semitism in, in, um, in the Labour Party. And as your previous guest said, you know, um, he's between a rock and a hard place um, politically because he knows who which groups of people are voting for him. Um, and he's got to just actually come clean of what his own views are. But as um, as I'm in your previous discussion, he's a lawyer, so um, he'll no doubt try and avoid uh, answering that question. Yes. I mean, he does seem to specialise in avoiding answering questions, doesn't he? And whenever he does answer a question, he then claims, oh, I wasn't answering that question, I was answering the one before. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the flip flopping. And also, Mike, I think the public should never forget that how twice he tried to get Jeremy Corbyn under into number 10. Yeah. You know, wh where's his principles right. um, for trying to, you know, support this man into number 10? Right. Final we question for you, Andrew. What's it like uh, currently in, in the Westminster group of Tory MPs? Are a lot of them going to quit before the election comes around? Is there anybody there uh, who feels like they're going to be hanging in there for the long run? They're going to be fine? Well, I mean, first of all, the WhatsApp group of Conservative MPs, I came out of that when um, what happened to Boris, so I'm not party to that anymore. I came out in protest. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, the general feeling is I think there's a lot of apathy, a lot of worry for people with their seats. And But ultimately, we just want um, the party and our leader to be more conservative and get conservative policies out there and regain the trust of the electorate. Yeah, I think that's the point. And he's got to convince those Tory, uh, Tory party members and even just Tory voters who didn't bother voting in those last two by-elections, give them a reason to vote for them. Absolutely. And we need to show there's, uh, you know, a, dis a distinctive difference between the Labour Party and ourselves. Because, you know, when I've got on the doorstep over the last year, what's the difference between Labour and Conservative? That's a worrying place to be in. Um, because of the high taxes. So we need to lower taxes and, as we've discussed, be more conservative, Mike. Yeah. Andrew, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Andrew Jenkins, a uh, uh, Conservative you, MP, telling us that uh, what we've been telling the Conservatives for a long time, William Clouse is still here, just be more conservative. I mean, you spend time on doorsteps talking mm. to people. I mean, what are you hearing from them? Well, I mean, people know that the Tory party is a Liberal party, just like the Labour party. In fact, it's quite similar to the Lib Dems. They've had 13 years of it. I haven't noticed them doing anything Conservative. Do you think they've whatsoever. got less Conservative over those years? I mean, they were pretty unconservative under Cameron as well. Yeah, they were. No, yeah, OK, I started with Cameron. I think Peter Hitchens is right about this. Uh, you know, they, they, they flipped and Cameron is sort of Blair's uh, prodigy, really. Um, no, there's, they've had... You can't... I mean, I, I sympathise with Andrea's predicament politically, uh, but you can't argue... That I oh, will do that for 13 years. Right. There's nothing being done. No, but still, even now, you mm. get somebody like Alex Chalk, the Justice Minister, standing mm. up in Parliament talking about reforming stuff as if he's only just got in. Yeah, I know. And you kind of go, sorry, mate, you've been, you've been all, for a while. And all the wokery in the schools and in the institutions, and the Tories are sort of scratching their heads and saying, well, what are we going to do about this stuff? Yeah. Well, mate, you're in control, and I won't have it. I mean, I've said on your show before, I won't have it. They, they don't have an 80 seat majority now, they've got 70. They had all the power in the no, world. No, it's like 60. Yeah, so 58, have, in fact, Yeah, yeah. So they, 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 they've got all the power in the world. So there's a big majority. They've got no intention of solving the migrant crisis on the, on the, on the south coast. They could, have, they could have done it if they wanted to do it. They didn't want to do it. That group of people don't want to do it. No. We saw in the lockdowns when they wanted to do something, they did it. So I just don't buy it. I think they're toast. I, think, I tell you what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be tough for the country. You'll, they'll lose the election. Labour will get in. You'll get in, a, in two years... Uh, within a Labour government, people realise it's even worse than it ever was. Mm. And I think from those ashes, we'll build something better. Yeah. And it will happen. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. And now it is time for Taking the Mic. Now, you know how I like to be proved right, and uh, quite happily, it happens quite a lot, because I'm proved right almost every single day of every single week, because I tell you the stories that are about to happen even before they happen. And for a long time, 
particularly when we found out how many people were actually coming here to study in this country from overseas. Uh, don't forget, we had something like 1.2 million people coming here legally, completely legally. So whenever you hear people saying, oh, there are no safe routes for anybody to come, that's why they all come on the small boats, you've got to help them. Well, no, there are plenty of safe routes because 1.2 million people came here on safe routes partly as asylum seekers, partly, largely, as students who are allowed to bring dependents with them, and also on work visas as well. Well, I said at the time, an awful lot of people coming to our universities in this country are coming here purely and simply to move to Britain. They're not coming here to study. That might be how they start out. But it's an easy route in, because you get a student visa, you come to this country, and then you disappear uh, into the undergrowth, if you like. Well, it now kind of turns out that the Home Office have worked out, finally after me telling them for days and weeks and months and years that 3,000 students made claims within their first year of living in this country between October uh, of 2021 and September of 2022, and 1,600 of them were from Bangladesh. Things got so bad that immigration chiefs at the Home Office actually said that no universities should accept any more applications from Bangladesh. Now, I'm not trying to single Bangladesh out, but that's what the Home Office have said. Background checks are not being done. People are applying for university business courses in particular because those are the ones uh, that are so much more difficult to fill up uh, here from British students, right, because they tend to be a bit more expensive. So we've got a situation here where tens of thousands of people are coming to this country as students and we don't really even know precisely what happens to them. So what I can tell you is it gives me no pleasure to be proven correct once again. But there has been a 100% increase in university applications from Ghana. People have been told to stop taking applications from Bangladesh. There's something going on. We now know what it is, and it is proven that I was right all along. That's my taking the mic. Now, moving on, let's go to another one of my favourite subjects, electric cars. Only last week we found out uh, that some insurance companies are likely to stop actually insuring electric cars because there's not any absolute clarity about how easy it is to determine how good or bad or otherwise or faulty the batteries are. Uh, we've now got another study which says that electric cars are going to cause more traffic jams across the country, and that's according to the government's own research because the impact of electric vehicles as they get cheaper and more widely available is going to be felt very much not only in the high street but on the motorways and everywhere else, not least, as you can see there, at the electric sort of charging points where people uh, supposedly have to queue up now for at least 45 minutes to an hour just to get on the thing, because there's usually a queue. With me now uh, is former Top Gear presenter, friend of the show, Mr Steve Berry. Steve, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. I see you sitting in your car there. Is that an electric car you're in or not? Mate, this is my trusty old, but not rusty old, Jag. Very With good. With a diesel engine. Excellent. Don't go and park it anywhere near Bath City Centre because they'll charge you more money because it's a diesel. They're actually doing, like, different tiered parking charges depending on what car you've got. Well, I'm a native Mancunian, mate, so I know, I know the little places where you can get to. Unfortunately, I know it's not what we're here to talk about, one of my favourite places to park and then cycle in on me folding bike like a proper media lovey has just been turned into a low-traffic neighbourhood. So there's another. So I'm <laughs> going to have to drive past that and park somewhere else further into the city, thus having a negative effect, I think. 
Yeah, well, it's bad news if you're going to cycle around town as well, because apparently if you're going to try and do that and leave your bike at a railway station, there's a pretty good chance that the bikes are going to get nicked because apparently stolen bikes from railway stations are up 40%. So that is the problem, isn't it? You know, all our politicians want us to get out of our cars, they want us to cycle, they want us to walk. If you do have a car, make sure it's electric. You know, but it's not working. People are not having it. Mike, if somebody wants to pick me up on this story, I can prove it because I can give you the name of the ticket guy at Salford Central Station. He knows me. My bike was getting nicked. A nice lady on a bicycle stopped to remonstrate with the two youths who were nicking my bike in broad daylight. Right. They nicked her bike as well. I'm not making that up. I can, if people want to check up on that story, I can give you the name of the ticket guy who called the police who turned up 25 minutes later. That's dreadful, isn't it? But I'm also hearing an awful lot of bad stories about electric cars. I don't know if you saw the one last week, as I just mentioned, that John Lewis, the uh, financial arm of John Lewis Services, is refusing now to insure electric vehicles on the grounds that, you know, they're not quite sure how to tell how bad the battery is if there's been an accident. And they can't really tell what the damage to an electric vehicle is until quite some time after it's been put back together. Unlike your Jag, you know, when somebody has a look at that, they can put the diagnostics on it, they know exactly what's going on, they know which bits of the car need to be repaired. Electric cars are much more um, difficult, I think, to, to repair, just because they're much more complicated. I think they're not that much more complicated, Mike, but they're very different. We look at a car and we look at an electric car and into a combustion, they're very different kinds of machines. Yeah. And the problem with the battery packs in modern electric cars is that they're very well protected and very well buried inside the vehicle mm. to protect the battery, which is very vulnerable to damage. The problem is if that battery then does sustain some damage, it can even be days, weeks, months later that the problems start to manifest themselves. And I was talking to somebody pretty high up in the insurance business in the UK. He wouldn't come on the record because he had some quite controversial things to say, which I'd happy to be discussed with you at a later date. Right. But in brief, he said, we don't really know what's going on yes. with electric cars and some of the more conservative uh, operators inside the insurance business might be thinking about stepping away yeah. from insuring electric cars. Yeah. They're conservative by their nature, the insurance business. Right. Of course, and they don't like a risk that they don't understand and they don't want to be giving people the opportunity to get money from them uh, if they can help it. Uh, I'm told as well that an awful lot of electric car purchasing um, has, has gone through the roof because an awful lot of companies were buying electric car fleets which also means now that it's much more difficult to find um, a spot at one of these charging points, particularly ones off the motorway. Uh, I've heard many stories from mates of mine who have got electric cars who say, yeah, I came off the motorway at the, M, uh, the M6 at a toll boot, toll service station, and I had to wait two hours to get onto the charge point because there were five cars in front of me and two of the charge points weren't working. Well, Mike, I had a goal at a challenge that was set for me, which was to do the annual mileage of a UK motorist, yeah. which is just over 7,000 miles per annum, right. and to do that in one month in an electric car. Right. And I just about managed to do it. It was just over a year ago, and I'm here to tell you, even then, it was tricky. Mm. I was pulling up in North Yorkshire. I was going all over the place, all over the country, yeah. to do 7,000 miles in a month. I had to. Right. I was pulling up at charging spots, and there were sometimes two and three people in front of me right. in remote parts of the country. Right. But having said that, most people only do about 25 miles a day in their car 
And if they charge at home, that's days and days of charge. Yes. I wonder if we need to reassess our use of cars and think of them as something to get about the urban environment. And if we want to move around the country, this tiny little country of ours, realistically, I mean, don't get me started on places like Australia and how they're going to get them with electric cars because they're not. We might have to think about how we use cars. Yes. Well, I know how to use my car. I get in it and I put my foot down and drive as fast as I possibly can to get to my destination. That's my job. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, Steve Berry there, former Top Gear presenter, uh, sitting in his Jag, uh, which if you go anywhere near Bath, you'll be charged an absolute fortune uh, to park it, of course. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, I just want to bring you some breaking news right now. Ex-Spanish Football Federation chief Luis Rubiales, remember him, uh, is given a three-year ban by FIFA. Apparently, what they're saying uh, is that he's, all, uh, he's been banned from all football-related activities. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means. Does that mean he can't play football with his kids? Does it mean he can't play football in the park? He can't play, go to football? He can't watch football on television? Or somebody's going to come and arrest him? Uh, anyway, uh, he's the guy, if you might remember, who kissed uh, Jenny Hermoso uh, on the lips after Spain won the Women's World Cup. Uh, that was back in August. Incredible, isn't it, how time flies? Now, obviously, many of you uh, will have listened to our conversation just now, myself and Peter Hitchens, about his exchange with Matthew Perry, um, who very tragically died uh, at the age of just 54 this weekend. Famously, of course, he played Chandler Bing on Friends uh, for 10 years. Tributes have been pouring in uh, from friends and colleagues as the cause of his death is still being determined. The belief is that he may uh, have drowned in his own hot tub. Uh, but it's front page news on all the papers this morning. Uh, lots of pictures to be had. Friends to the end uh, is the front page of The Sun. Matthew Perry dead at 54. Uh, thought to be, from all uh, to, to all intents and purposes, one of the greatest and most um, warm people in Hollywood, which is not known for, for real people and, and people who actually are uh, genuine, but he obviously seems to be one of them. Uh, I'm joined now by entertainment journalist Kinsey Schofield uh, to get the latest from uh, California. Kinsey, very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, very sad story, this, but, I mean, sort of heartwarming in some ways to hear all the stories about Matthew Perry and how really decent a guy he was. That's right. You know, Ioni Skye, um, who's famous for the movie Say Anything, releasing some text messages she received from him, I believe it was October 15th, mm. where he says he was just meditating and thinking about how beautiful she was. Uh, so... Uh, also, Alyssa Milano, Robin Lively, uh, these two actresses that worked with him, Robin dated him, both sharing stories about how he took them to play bingo at an old church in the valley where they were surrounded by old ladies and how funny and cute it was that that's what he liked to do with his time. So uh, you're right. And anybody that I've talked to that's worked with him said that he's a very kind man. He was absolutely, he, there was no diva behavior. He was a good person, a good man. And he talked about praying for fame, praying that he could become famous and do this as a job. And then in the midst of the chaos of addiction, praying to live mm. and changing his priorities. Uh, so I do think at the end of the day, he was a very good human. Yes. And I mean, as you say, nobody has anything but, but, but very, very good words to say about him. And also he was, unlike the rest of the Friends cast, um, sitting in with the writers when they were writing the stuff because he also was a bit of a comic 
genius, not least in the way that he delivered the lines, but just in the way that he came up with some of them. It, to the point where they would run a scene, it wouldn't work, and the writers would rally around him and say, how do we fix this? I right. mean, with seconds to go before they reset and shot the exact same scene, he would come up with something, a one-liner or just, you know, a, a Chandlerism, and the crowd would erupt. So he was, su he was such a skilled comedian and talent. And it, I think we focus on that. We focus on friends. We focus on how he made us feel in that role. But the reality is we're finding out today with Hank Azaria and some of these other individuals that behind the scenes, he was really working to save people's lives and save people from addiction and help them with their recovery, uh, which I know he would want to be his legacy. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating to hear some of these stories about how passionate he was to save other people. Yeah, and I've just retweeted a picture that I found on your on your Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. I don't know why anybody else wouldn't. Um, but it's a picture of what looks like the Duchess of York, um, along with him uh, and Joey, standing in front of the Houses of Parliament. Was that when they came over to film the wedding in London? An amazing episode where, you know, Joey is just desperate to have a run-in with a royal. Right. Chandler doesn't think it's going to happen. And so Joey gets gets a camcorder, has his camcorder, thankfully, when he runs into the Duchess of York. And they make a personal video for Chandler, who can't believe it. It's an amazing episode. Right. And, I mean, there was always a great connection, wasn't there, between... Um, this country and, and the US when it came to Friends. It's one of those shows, I suppose, that might be um, specific to, a, to an age range. But, I mean, it's not that specific because, I mean, everybody knows about it. Most people... I, don't, I haven't really heard many people have a bad word to say about Friends. Well, I don't know who copied who, but wasn't it very similar to coupling? Obviously, there was some inspiration there. I don't know who did it first, but I remember finding, stumbling upon coupling in Los Angeles, and it was just happening over in your neck of the woods, and thinking, wow, this looks a lot like Friends. So obviously that humor does translate, and you can turn on the television in any hotel room anywhere in the world, and Friends has been translated and is airing somewhere, because it just, there is a wholesomeness right. about that humor. Yeah. There is a sincerity and a sweetness about that, that show that I just don't think you can find on television anymore. Well, listen, I said the same to Jeremy Carl this morning because we were talking about it, and, and I said it's one of those shows that, you know, if you're kind of just flicking around and you don't know what to do uh, for half an hour or, or 45 minutes or so, you could put any episode of Friends on um, and even just have it on in the background, and it's, it's just funny, you know? It is. It's sweet. It's cute. You get invested in, in these characters because they're very likable. And one thing that Robin Lively said, who, um, you know, is Blake Lively's sister, worked with Perry and dated him, was that... Matthew Perry was Chandler Bing and Chandler Bing was Matthew Perry. So if you fell in love with that character watching him, you know, it's hard to imagine that this is an individual that never got married and ultimately died alone because so many women watched that show and just were enamored with him, in love with him. He was funny. He was quick. He, his sarcasm was just brilliant. And, and on top of it all, he was a very handsome man. Yeah. And isn't it interesting as well that, that of, of all the shows that other people have done over the course of, of history, this is one show where nobody really did much else. I mean, I know they've all had their little projects. Jennifer Anderson's been in quite a few movies. Lisa Kudrow's done stuff as well. Monica, too. I mean, I, you sort of interchange the names, don't you? It doesn't really matter whether it's their cast name or their real name. But it's quite surprising in a way, isn't it, that, that none of them really went on to do anything bigger than Friends? 
I think that's right. Uh, ultimately, their all of their legacies will be this the sitcom. Um, Matthew, to me, I felt like he was the breakout male because we did see him do some some movies that were incredible and some other TV shows. I love the movie 17 again that he's in with Zac Efron. Um, you know, he's also in Fool's Russian, which is precious. Um, Jennifer Aniston's had an amazing career, but at the end of the day, I don't think of Jennifer Aniston, the morning show or Jennifer Aniston, yeah. horrible bosses. I think of Jennifer Aniston friends. Mm. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Interesting. And as far as the actual investigation into the cause of death is concerned, I mean, they, they're still not absolutely sure that they, they, they are sure there was no kind of, um, illegal drug use or anything like that. But I mean, obviously his health was not great, was it? Correct. He'd, he'd had approximately 14 surgeries um, over the course of several years, and that is to heal the damage that had been done to his body due to these addictions. Uh, he'd played pickleball for about two hours that day. Um, however, his pickleball uh, partner had told Billy Bush here in the States that he'd been fatigued, and he'd been fatigued for about a week. Uh, no illegal drugs were found on the scene, but some prescription drugs for you know anti-anxiety, anti-depression, those were found within the household. Um, the, the the autopsy is done. There's no cause of death as of yet. They've sent off the toxicology reports, and typically those take weeks to months to get back. But, you know, uh, Lisa Kudrow's been telling the Daily Mail that the friends don't believe that it's drug-related, um, illegal drug-related, uh, that they hope it wasn't an accident, a medication, you know, that uh, was negatively affected by the warm water of the jacuzzi, mm. and um, that he was in a really good place towards the end of his life. So they're disappointed by this. Yeah, it really is terrible, terrible shame. And it was a surprise when somebody dies at such a young age as well. I just, you know, Variety, there, there was a line in Variety, you know, the, the industry publication here, about all of us waiting for his second act. And there was so much success with his book. He was very proud of his book that came out a, a year ago now. Uh, so I do think we were waiting to see what was going to happen next because the opportunities were endless for him. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It's the only place to be. You know why? Because uh, it's the home of common sense, uh, which doesn't appear to be in very great supply in many, many other parts uh, of the country, or indeed the world at the moment. Ministers uh, are going to be set to hold an emergency COBRA meeting today, though, amid fears that the Israel-Gaza war has accelerated the domestic terror threat we face here in the UK. The police have warned uh, that Iran is stoking the divisions in the UK. Uh, it would be nice, of course, if they actually arrested some more people, rather than making excuses excuses for people chanting jihad. Uh, but there we are. Uh, we've had some incredible pieces of footage over the course of the weekend. The police, Metropolitan Police, even actually answered one of my tweets when I said, uh, this is not the way to police a peaceful demonstration. It is no longer really classed as a peaceful demonstration uh, of people uh, who are saying that they're frightened to come into the centre of town because of what might happen to them because they're Jewish. That is not a peaceful demonstration, I'm afraid. Uh, but here to talk about that and some of the other big stories of the day, Candice Holdsworth, of course, uh, Conservative commentator. Ken, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, I guess what we can say is the police have arrested some people yeah. today, uh, but they're not from the pro-Palestinian march. They're from Just Stop Oil. Oh, Just Stop Oil are back out there, of course, because, you know, there's no end to their crusade to stop us from exploring for new oil and gas. They've actually issued, believe it or not, the most ridiculous tweet so far of the week. I know it's only Monday, uh, but they said this after they were uh, arrested for marching around slowly around Parliament Square. Uh, the Metropolitan Police, under orders from our criminal government, stop a peaceful march. Instead of investigating the criminals pushing new oil and gas, it is a policy in line with, wait for it, genocide. 
I mean, it's a complete... What? It, I'm sick of them using these phrases. Yeah. Anyone who opposes, opposes them is evil. This yeah. is how they like to characterize right. anyone who raises questions about what they're doing. They are utterly, utterly apocalyptic voices. They're yeah. cult-like. Right. This is the language of cults. These are the same people who talk about the climate emergency and that if we don't do something about it, like right this minute, that the world is going to end, people are going to die of starvation. I think the last time they were all out and about, there was that woman who was being interviewed on Sky, I think it was, literally weeping saying, don't you care about your children? Saying to the person interviewing her, why are you even here? You should be out with us on the streets, you know, demanding the government do something. I mean, it's quite deranged, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it's funny because at the moment, a sort of middle ground has opened up on the yeah. climate debate. I mean, Rishi Sunak has tried to talk a bit about net zero, right. possibly be more pragmatic right. about it. At least put it off for a bit until people can actually afford to do the things they want us to do. The practical, pragmatic things. I mean, those are the people who are really going to make any difference. It's not going to be just stop oil running around screaming accusing people of genocide they are really not right. going to be the people who are going to create any difference in the world no. i mean particularly given what is actually currently going on i mean we're talking there about a cobra meeting being held because of the front of the, uh, the times today yeah very very serious um sort of escalation if yes. you like of the terror threat in this country and when you look around the world and see what's happening where we see uh, groups of uh, men yeah. chasing people in an airport to see if they're Jewish. Yeah. And we see what happened in Australia, we see what happens in America, in other countries in Europe. I mean, if you were a Jewish person, you would be pretty terrified right now. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, you are 100% right. I mean, anti-Semitism is its own thing. It's right. an ancient hatred and we know that language which is negative about Jewish people is connected to violence and murder. Yeah. I mean, this is going back centuries now. Mm. There have been numerous and massacres. And it's not like they're keeping any secrets here. I mean, we're hearing chants about jihad. We're yes. hearing chants, much worse chants, actually, in Australia, gas the Jews. Oh my we're gosh, hearing them yes. saying, kill the Jews, you know, slaughter the Jews. I mean, it's unbelievable that the police, and we're going to talk about this later on in this hour uh, with a barrister, seem incapable of doing anything to stop it. You know, one person I know compared it to the Rotherham Grooming Gang scandal. Yeah. You know, it's almost too... They, they feel like it's too sensitive a, a topic and they don't want to touch it. Yeah. And they're sort of backing away from it. But they absolutely should not be backing away from it. This is a very difficult, complex problem that we have right now. I mean, we are a liberal democracy, but as we can see, as has been reported, there may be hostile state agents from Iran, for instance, yeah. subverting Russia. our... Yes, subverting our democratic freedoms yeah. for their own ends. Exactly. And we have to be very careful of well, that. I mean, for a long time, there have been people saying to me, you know, this mass immigration which is now going on from, you know, central parts of Africa, from uh, parts of North Africa, uh, from sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I was astonished when I was uh, told just a few weeks ago and I was shown a video uh, of, of sub-Saharan African people arriving on the border between Mexico and the United States, having been transported there by people traffickers. You know, they're not just coming through Lampedusa and Italy. They're coming all the way across the Atlantic and going into the United States via Mexico. And you think, surely this is not something that's just happening. You know, this is almost as though uh, there is an orchestration behind it. And I'm not talking about some kind of United Nations-inspired conspiracy. I'm talking about foreign powers possibly acting against the West. We just have no idea. I mean, the, the human traffickers are in no way going to be scrupulous about who they bring over. They don't over. care. They don't care. Right. And, I mean, reports have come out now about Hamas, like former Hamas um, members, some mm. head, some Hamas chief, living in Barnet. Right. In a council right. house. And he was given well, a British passport. One How? Of the heads, one of the heads of uh, the Palestinian protest, um, who's a guy associated with a, a prescribed terrorist group, which is banned in all sorts of countries in the Middle East, but yes. not here. Yes. 
Turns out it's an NHS GP oh, it's in terrifying. North London. It's terrifying. I mean, what on earth has been going on? I don't know. I mean, you know, some people have said perhaps they use it for intelligence gathering services. But, you know, for a lot of people, they say, this makes me feel unsafe in mm. my community. Yeah. I need to know about things like this. Right. Well, I mean, I ask myself the question. I don't spend much weekend time in London. But I have to ask myself the question of all these people, um, if there's 100,000 of them, maybe more, marching through the streets... You know, there will be probably the token sort of silly old socialists with white beards, yes, and Jeremy Corbyn yes. lookalikes and all of that. But most of the people appear to be um, people who support a free Palestine but are also quite vociferous and quite aggressive um, about Muslim ideology uh, and anti-Jewish ideology. Yes, and, you know, the thing is, is that nowadays, as a lot of people who are... St- deeply knowledgeable, knowledgeable about anti-Semitism will say, it will often take the language of decolonization. Yes. So, you know, they'll talk about things like the Zionists. But they won't say Jews, they'll say Zionists. Yes. But it's the same old... Right. Yeah, it's the same old anti-Semitism, just mm. taking a new form, trying to find mm. acceptable ways to yeah. present itself. And it's actually worse now, it seems to me, than the olden days of, of kind of, you know, anti-Semitic behaviour, because this is now kind of carved out of the social justice... Um, hoop, isn't it? So that, you know, you're actually a good person because you're against the you know, the dreaded jackboot of fascism, i.e. Israel, and you're actually all about saving the poor, downtrodden people. Exactly. That's exactly what has happened. I mean, Jake Wallace-Simons, the editor of the Jewish Chronicle, yeah. has spoken about this, how it always cloaks itself, mm. anti-Semitism cloaks itself in the language of the time. Yeah. And the language of our time is social justice. Yeah. So you can present yourself or try to present yourself as someone good yeah. while saying very, very, very prejudicial right. things. Because, I mean, effectively, some of the people involved in this social justice movement aren't saying very much different things to what Oswald Mosley was saying in the 1940s when they were walking around uh, with the brown shirts kicking Jewish people out of the East End. Do you know that... And that worries me. I keep thinking about the Battle of Cable Street. Yeah. You know, when they marched on the streets of Mm. London, but they met huge civil resistance then. Yeah, because they were the bad guys. But now I worry that these people are being seen as the good guys, but their message is the same. Yes, yes. It was only after the war, because he tried again, Mosley tried to to march again in the Mm. early 1960s. And, I mean, was violently shut down in the streets because at that time people had fought the Nazis. and I mean, they had... Absolutely no tolerance for it. These things aren't new. We've always had to deal with them. Mm. I think every every so every so many years, a new generation has to confront these things and confront yeah. these ancient hatreds. Right. And like you say, how prepared are, are we to deal with it? Yes. Well, I think we have to be much better prepared because at the moment yes. it doesn't look as if we are very prepared at all, both politically uh, and indeed from the point of view of the police. Um, but talking of eras, you know, it almost feels as though we've moved into a new era now. Yes, doesn't I it? agree. That we've sort of gone post. Brexit, post-COVID, you know, we're now in sort of post-apocalyptic times when almost anything is possible. Um, Reading this morning about Boris Johnson favouring a soft touch over lockdowns, this is according to uh, Professor Gupta, uh, somebody who's on this show uh, and this station quite a lot, Professor Sinatra Gupta, uh, she's going to be giving evidence to the COVID inquiry, saying that Boris Johnson at the time of COVID kind of happening was very much in favour of a Swedish-style um, you know, laissez-faire approach, if yeah. you like, and something changed his mind. Yes. Yes, well, th- I mean, everything did suddenly change. I mean, mm. there were the reports at the time that we weren't going to have a hard lockdown, that vulnerable people were going to be cocooned, and if we were going to have any lockdown, it was going to be very brief at yeah. the peak moments when cases were peaking, and then that was it. And then suddenly it was when the Imperial College report came yeah. out, which... This was the Neil Ferguson thing. Yes, right? which said that there were going to be hundreds of thousands of deaths unless we'd locked down now. Yeah. And then they panicked and they changed their 
minds and everything changed. Yeah. And I mean, Sunetra Gupta, I mean, she's also a very renowned epidemiologist. Yeah. I mean, she was absolutely pilloried for mm. her views. She tried desperately to get in front of oh, the government to well, present her thing. view. This is the thing that characterises our, our media now and our political sort of landscape is that, you know, if you do take a different view, you know, you are absolutely piled on. Yes. At a massive rate. I mean, we know from Julie Hartley Brewer's apology last week that she got from the government um, that they were giving out, um, taking down names and, 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 and making charges against people. It was entirely unfounded. Yes. And why, were, why, why was the army monitoring journalists? Yeah, I, know. I mean, that was so alarming. I mean, I'll never forget when that MP, Neil O'Brien, compiled a yeah. list of journalists. Right. You know, just people who were giving an alternative mm. view. And I remember thinking how chilling that was. Yeah, yeah. It was so chilling. Right. And I thought, you know, for a lot of younger journalists who aren't used to this, aren't used to that sort of mm. fight, it would have shut them up. Yeah. And they wouldn't have spoken out. Right. Well, again, it was kind of government by um, permission, if you like. Yes. You know, if you were allowed into the, um, the COVID briefing, if you were allowed to ask a question, you know, that was all done on the basis of uh, if you were going to behave. Yes, You know, yes, if you were going to start yes. asking questions they didn't like, exactly. you weren't going to be allowed in. I know. And, you know, Boris Johnson says he did favour the Swedish model, but I want to know why he changed his I'm not mind. sure if that's the Swedish model he was talking about. <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> the different Swedish model. But, I mean, looking back at that time as well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you see now, it seems a, a, an age away. You know, Nicola Sturgeon's back in the news yes. this morning uh, because of some missing WhatsApp messages. Yes. And the way that she would always try and kind of get one over on the government. And it was this kind of duelling um, First Minister, Prime Ministerial uh, briefings. She would always try and get out ahead of it. Yes. They would always try and get out ahead of her. Yes. It was kind of ludicrous, you know, tit-for-tat thing. Yes. Going. Yeah, I mean, in Scotland, they always went over and above. Mm. I mean, it was always just that one bit further than yeah. the British government. Um, she must have known that there was going to be a, a public inquiry. So yeah. why these messages have been de deleted? I mean, that is suspect. Right. Well, and anyone who deletes WhatsApp messages uh, is not doing them by accident, as far as I can so. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, for me, I'm just fascinated by her complete retreat mm. from public life. I mm. mean, this was someone who was always front and centre. Yep. When she left politics, everyone assumed she was going to have a media career, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe she was going to enter the EU. But she's just, she's retreated totally. Yeah. We don't see her anymore. It's been this total downfall. Right. I mean, even Boris Johnson, to an extent, I mean, he's sort of carving out a media career yeah. for himself. But I mean, he hasn't been involved in politics. He's no. sort of gone to, you know, like gone to ground and mm. we hear from him occasionally and he's not very very political columns yes. for the Daily Mail. Yeah. I mean, there have been so many casualties of that era. Right. Political leaders, you think about Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. I mean, she's a big yeah. one as it's well. It's hard to believe that they've all just gone, isn't yes. it? Yes, and they say Justin Trudeau as right. well. I mean, that, you know, the public are really unhappy with him mm. too. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to yeah. see what happens. Well, of course, going back to America at that time, Donald Trump was the president. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah he was an early one, yes. And he and he doesn't, I mean, he may come back, you never know. But, but it is yeah. weird, isn't it, that, that we have this kind of... Um, I can't compartmentalise sort of... I mean, maybe an era doesn't last as long as it used to. You know, they're not... Yes. It's what they say, you know, a billion dollars is what it used to be. Yes. Um, because that era is gone. It is, it you is. know, the era of those... All of those individuals you just named. Yes. None of them are here anymore. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. But we're just... It feels like we're moving from crisis to crisis. I mean, I feel like October 7th, the world changed. And I think we all felt it change. Mm. This isn't just some regional thing. No. We all know we've moved into something different now. Yeah. We're entering into a darker, more unstable yeah. era. And I think also you have to take into account, because it's not uh, um, a, a small thing, the numbers of, of people who would be sympathetic, generally speaking, to the yeah. Palestinian cause, yes. who have moved to live in countries like Britain yes. and America, 
um, and Australia. Yes. You know, yes. even those just three countries to start off yes. with. Yes. And you could see the revivification mm. of anti Semitism. Yeah. And that's a deep concern. Yeah. I mean, you know, many people who I know in the Jewish community are worried. They yeah. are genuinely worried. This brings up so yeah. much historical trauma for them. And if you think it's not an, an important issue for us domestically, just look at the mess Keir Starmer finds himself in. Yes. Trying yes. to figure out how the pathway is that he can cut through it. Because I think he's got a problem. I think so. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, they're going to be worried about the Labour Party now. Yeah. You know, if they're in power, what sort of policy will Keir Starmer take? Yeah. Because he doesn't seem to be able to keep a strong, consistent line. No. You know, as soon as he sees that he's displeasing people in his party, mm. he tries to appease them, and yeah. that's his personality. And in times like ours, you do not want leaders like that. No. You want people who are strong and they know who they are and they mm. can stand by their beliefs. Yes. That's so important. Yes. And then finally, last year we had Matt Hancock. This year we're talking about Nigel Farage going into the jungle for our celebrity. Um, I'm sure it will be quite entertaining. Yes. I yeah. mean, he will be, because unfairly, as he often is, created as a kind of hate figure. Yes. You know, he will be the Matt Hancock of this year if he does go in, won't he? But he's actually very popular. Yeah, he's yeah, not, well, he you is. know, for some people, he might not be their cup of tea, but for a lot of people, they actually really like him. Well, he's a really likeable guy, actually. I mean, I always find it staggering that these kind of, um, you know, lefties and people that really, really detest Nigel Farage, it's completely unbalanced. Yes, You know, the yes. man is not detestable. He's not even unpleasant. He's You've... a very pleasant guy. He's a very smart guy. Uh, and he's actually an incredibly influential man when it comes to, you know, British politics. I would advise anyone, make up your own mind mm. about someone, not what a very partisan media will tell you. I mean, for instance, um, Jared Kushner, yeah. who was um, who worked with Donald Trump right. in the, the White House. Law, he? Yes, he just did a podcast with a very well-known podcast in the US called Lex Friedman. Uh -huh. And many people on the left said, I thought this guy was an idiot. Right. He's not an idiot. He's really intelligent. Well, pop, I mean, you don't get to do those kinds no. of things unless you've got... Uh, a reasonable modicum of common sense. Yes, it has yes, to be said. yes. I mean, I wish I could say the same for the Labour Party, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> Candice, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It was another one of those weekends. Nine people were arrested uh, at the pro-Palestine rally in London this weekend, some of them for suspected hate crimes. But the Metropolitan Police are still facing questions over whether they're being too soft on protesters promoting anti-Semitism, with reports of people shouting jihad, and an awful lot worse as well, at the rally on Saturday. Also, uh, I got involved in a bit of a set-to with the Metropolitan Police Twitter account, uh, in which I said, you know, this is not the way to police a peaceful protest. This is no longer peaceful protest. People are clambering all over statues, waving flares around, shouting uh, very, very nasty things about Jewish people. And quite frankly, it's time the police got a bit of a backbone, isn't it? So to, to discuss this, I'm joined by Barrister Rebecca Butler, uh, who's been talking about this over the weekend, tweeting about it as well, uh, policing jihad on our streets. Rebecca, um, uh, I'm a great admirer of your, uh, your Twitter account, I have to say. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, you're quite right to say that the powers that the police say they don't have, they actually do have already, don't they? Yeah, they have a raft of uh, powers, Mike. And, um, you know, since 9-11, when uh, the Blair government was empowered, there have been uh, numerous attempt, attempts at legislation, which I have to say have been blocked by the House of Lords, in relation to uh, religious hatred being expressed uh, in the public arena, uh, we know that with, um, you know, for example, football matches, that we know that any racist or religious hatred expressed in a football match uh, will result in football banning orders. 
which doesn't apply to this, obviously, but there are there are numerous laws on the statute book dealing with precisely the issues that we are seeing splashed across our screens over the last three yeah. weeks. The the issue I think though is for the police. They are policing probably a fifty to a hundred thousand person march. Yeah. And if only one if only one percent of the people on that march caused trouble, assaulted a police officer, committed criminal damage, uh, expressed either verbally or in a placard religious or racist hate, um, the police simply don't have the numbers to make the arrest at the time. And so we see this bizarre uh, situation where the Met is asking for videos to be uploaded mm. so that they can deal with the evidence after the event. Now, they have to protect their officers. British officers are unarmed. And they're simply, I don't believe, enough of them to actively arrest people uh, given the sheer volume that there is right. on the street at this time. But doesn't that then lead to a kind of, you know, freedom of movement, if you like, um, for want of a better phrase, for anyone who wants to have one of these uh, pro-Palestinian marches because there's no deterrent to go down and join in. So I was told uh, that this one was more um, heavily populated than the last one. There'll probably be another one next week. They've said they're going to keep doing it until such time as, as the government takes a different view. Um, you know, we're in un sort of uncharted territory here, and it seems to me that if um, you get the idea that you can go down to one of these marches and do whatever the hell you like, pretty much, without fear or favour, because they're talking about arresting nine people, you know, which is a laughably small number, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, then it's never going to stop and it's probably going to get worse and something bad, I fear, will happen. Yes, well, nine people uh, is not a measure of how much peace is expressed at the protest, as how few police there are to arrest the ones that are clearly inciting religious and racial hatred. Yeah. I think the way to look at this, Mike, though, is, is the bigger view that, yes, you know, we all have criticism for the Met over their failure to arrest, and I've just sort of detailed that. But actually, the, the government does have powers, and they brought in new powers in the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Act 2022 on restriction of protests. And then, as, as you're aware, and I think you've covered it on this programme, the issue of the slow marches of Just Stop Oil and yeah. Extinction Rebellion, then they beefed those up by secondary legislation uh, actually earlier in this year. Mm. There was a hue and cry about that. Uh, at the time, but now we're looking at these these new pieces of legislation. There is significant discretion uh, now handed to uh, Sir Mark Rowley, the chief of the Met, to actually put a halt to the protests or to um, circumscribe them so so greatly that the protest would be ineffective. My concern is we've got Remembrance Day coming up in yes. two weeks' time. And I am deeply concerned that we are going to have calls for jihad on the streets of London when we are remembering our fallen dead yeah. who gave up. And the, the juxtaposition and the irony of that position is that we could have a march that is unrestrained while we are remembering yeah. our fallen heroes who fought by the way, for our right to mm. protest and to express ourselves. But under, the, you know, the human rights uh, legislation here, you can prescribe those rights. They are not unlimited rights to protest and expression of your beliefs. They are restricted by the law. Yeah. The law exists. The law 
is not being used to its full force. Now we have to start pressuring Suella Bravman to exercise her powers in the new legislation to descri describe and define what a minor disturbance is. We need the police to accept that Jewish people who wish to go about their normal Saturdays, which let's face it, is their holy day. Mm. They are not going to their synagogues. They are staying at home. They must be petrified. So we must start demanding that these marches be so limited in their scope that we cannot have the scenes we've had over no. the last three weeks. They are terrifying to the normal citizen. Exactly right. And also London uh, is a vibrant city, capital city of this country. You know, there are people who come here because they want to have a holiday, they want to do a bit of tourism, they want to go around the Tower of London, they might want to go around Selfridges, they might want to look around the, you know, Downing Street area, whatever. You know, we can't just have one protest after another with hundreds of thousands of people closing off loads and loads of roads where basically nobody can go about their daily business. I mean, I got the most ridiculous reply from Metropolitan Police when I asked them about this guy clambering all over Lloyd George's statue. And I don't know whether you saw it, but they say this. This incident is being reviewed, but it's worth us explaining why it's a tricky one for officers. One of the challenges is the law that covers flares is from the 1870s, and it focuses on firing and throwing them, not just holding them. And there is also no law about climbing on statues if no damage is being done. Well, I'm sorry, these are the same Metropolitan Police who arrested a load of Republic demonstrators before they'd even done anything because they thought they were going to disrupt the coronation. So, I mean, they're just talking cobblers, aren't they? Well, they are, because, you know, the, the lighting of a flare, um, yeah, OK, may, maybe under the technicality of lighting a flare, you may be reverting back to an 1800s piece of legislation. Uh, however, does it cause alarm or distress? That's straight up a Section 5... Um, public order offence, which is current current legislation, yeah. or even a section four, if it's an intention mm. to uh, cause alarm and distress. So they do have the uh, offences to charge in their arsenal. The the CPS obviously does the charging, and you know, look at the evidence. Is there evidence? Yes or no? I say yes. Is it in the public interest? That's the one where they defeat the charging, where they say, well, it's not in the public interest to go after somebody for such a minor offence, you know. So they can always find a mealy mouth way out of, um, you know, imposing the laws that exist on the statute books. We don't, we don't actually need more laws. No. And under the new protest laws, actually, minor disturbances can accumulate. So they can now have an accumulative effect in the law and businesses, I would encourage businesses to get in touch with the Met and say, how much more disruption do we have to face? Traffic can be a cumulative, um, uh, you know, effect of repeated marches. Get the Jew I address this straight to the Jewish community. Every single one of you write to the Met Police tweet them on Met Police events and say, we cannot attend our place of worship because of the cumulative effect that these protests are having on our safety and our perception of our safety. Because if members of the public feel threatened, they are entitled to make a complaint and they are entitled to make representations in respect of protests being held. And I honestly, I speak to you to every Israeli, every member of the Jewish community in this country, we stand with you 
please make your feelings known to the police because you can stop these marches. You can restrict them. And I think they have to be stopped because when you look at the front page of the Times today, and we know there's a COBRA meeting going on at the moment, conflict has accelerated a terror threat to Britain. That's what Suella Braverman is saying. Now, I don't wish to in any way um, give anybody ideas because that's not obviously what I want to do or what, what this is intended to do. But, you know, um, a demonstration like that where you've got 1,000 police officers policing 100,000 people. I mean, how easy would that be uh, to have some kind of, uh, you know, terror threat emanating from such a march? Because, quite frankly, the police wouldn't be able to stop it. Well, 1% is 1,000. Yeah. 0.1% is 100. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't take much. We know there's a terror threat. We know we've got tens of thousands of people who are being monitored by the security services... You know, why isn't the uh, Home Secretary in invoking her new powers on civil restraint within the laws that she created to prevent those people being able to go on these marches? These 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 measures do exist, and it's not a failing in our law. It's our failing in having the courage to implement the laws we've got on our statute books. Right-thinking people will not support these marches. Right-thinking people will look at the support for Hamas and ask themselves, why are we allowing support for a prescribed terrorist, terrorist organisation on our streets? Mm. Why are we allowing the Hamas charter from the river to the sea, which is exterminate the Jews, why are we allowing that to be expressed on our streets? If it looks like a duck, Mike, and it quacks like a duck, it is a wow. duck. This is an expression of religious and racial hatred and an attempt to incite people to exterminate the Jews yet again, yet again. It is barely out of, you know, people living today. It is in their collective memory what happened to the Jews during the Holocaust. Well, let's, not, let's not forget that... Let's not forget that one of the victims of October the 7th uh, was a 95-year-old man who had survived the Holocaust, who had survived concentration camps during the war, who had, I think he'd been in Belson or somewhere like that, and he was murdered by Hamas uh, in his own home uh, on ja uh, October the 7th of this year, 2023. I mean, if that doesn't mean anything to these people, I find it absolutely astonishing. And I suppose it might help, uh, I suppose, Rebecca, um, if Sadiq Khan was able to get behind what you and I are talking about, but he doesn't seem that willing to do so. He's one of those who calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, despite the fact that Hamas is still holding 200-plus hostages, some of them children, some of them elderly. Yeah, so they want a ceasefire for humanitarian reasons, but what they forget is, or, or choose to ignore, what the Israeli intelligence services tell us, which is that Hamas stockpiles water and fuel uh, for its own purposes and where it stockpiles them. We've been told numerous times by reliable intelligence sources in Israel, Israel, a, a liberal state. It is the only liberal state in the Middle East. We are being told by our partners that, you know, Hamas is using fuel for rockets, but not fuel for hospitals. And yet the, the left wing and the Marxist left wing is demanding a ceasefire. Hamas broke the ceasefire on October the 7th. Giving Hamas a ceasefire is code for 
now's your time to reload, yeah. boys. You know, yeah. get the rockets going. That they, they don't recognize ceasefire yeah. because this is a holy war. This is a jihad. This is not we don't like Netanyahu. This is we want to exterminate Jews. Right. And I think the likes of Sadiq Khan, Andy Burnham, you know, the, the trade unionists, they're all coming out in favor of a ceasefire, but they're failing to to see what they're actually enabling by mm. demanding the ceasefire. Yeah. But this is their constituency. This is their electorate. And they've they've sort of fostered this electorate over the last 30 yeah. years and have made Britain, quite rightly, a very welcoming place for um, people who want to come here from uh, oppressive regimes. And yet we have been so indiscriminate that now we are looking at our own oppressive regime and we are looking at our government, at our public bodies, being too terrified to actually impose the laws that we have um, to, to restrict and to prescribe terrorist organizations, statements of terrorism and statements of genocide. If anybody doesn't think that this is a call to exterminate Jews, they need to open their history books and see what the history of being a Jew on this planet really involves. Absolutely. And I'm not a Jew, Mike, but I feel so deeply mm. for our Jewish friends. I really do. No, I agree. It, I'm it, totally with I you. Agree. Rebecca, great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Very eloquent, very well put and very, very true. This is what you get here at the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. This is not about demonising anyone. This is about proving the point that what is actually going on before your very eyes is very clear. Don't pretend you don't see it. Don't pretend you don't know it. Don't pretend that everything's fine. And don't pretend that it's all justified, because it isn't. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.